Chronicles of Bruce Street Mafia. This is a Red Dog Fred production. Welcome back to the Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lodge. Today I have a friend of mine on. He is a teacher and a columnist, um, Mr. Tony Kendall. Tony, welcome. Yeah. Thank How are you? I'm okay. We were just talking about Androids and iPhones and the difference between all that fun stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Good place to start. Yeah, yeah. But uh, glad to be here, man. It's like I'm glad to see you doing well. And Yeah, yeah. This is fun for me. I just I enjoy this. Thank you again for taking time out of your day just sit here and talk with me and see how things go. And I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. Maybe we don't. I don't know. Well, we'll see. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Well, we got, what, about an hour? We got about an hour. We got so about an got hour. Okay. Big time. Yeah. No problem, man. So you write for, you write a column. Right. So how long have you been doing that? I have been doing that, this, I started in 1997, so this is 20, so. Wow. So I've been doing it since 1997. Wow. Uh, uh, Michael Williams, the editor, publisher of the PI, came to me one day, well actually, I have written some guest commentaries on some things that had happened in Henry County that I felt like somebody needed to comment on. Yeah. So I had written several commentaries, and I've been I've been writing for various magazines and newspapers that friends of mine worked okay. at for you you know since the, since the mid '80s because I I graduated from Murray State the first time with a journalism degree, so I went into newspaper, radio and newspaper, so I've been writing. I always tell people that I've been a published author since I was about 15 years old. Wow. I've had something in the PI or something, something. since I was 15 that years old. Very cool. So I've been a writer most of my life. I figured, you know, we have certain talents. Sure. And I figured the only, I, I didn't figure, I discovered that the one talent that I had that I could express myself with words. Yeah. So what are some of the, what are some of the things right now that you have maybe been addressing that are kind of on your mind, some of the topics that? Well, um, politics. The uh, last couple of years have been a little crazy. Well, <laughs> my whole life has been, it's been crazy. So uh, politics. History, sports, those are my kind of, okay. those are my three go-to areas. I love politics. I love history. You got me on sports. Got you I, on sports. I, I have nothing. I have, I know the football is oval, and uh, that's about that's it. That's about it. Yeah, uh, orange ball. I used to play <laughs> orange ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so those are my areas, and anything else, um, anything else that just, you know, pops up, but it's usually anything that I write, unless I'm doing a feature on somebody or, his, you know, or something from a historical perspective, and occasionally, I occasionally I will write talking points for people running for office. Really? Yeah. Sometimes people who know who know me and will say, "Hey, I'm giving a speech to this group." Uh, how can you help me? How can you help me? Gotcha. So I do that a lot. And, and so it, you try to bring a unique perspective. To well, I bring. Well, I don't know if it's unique. I bring my perspective. I understand. You know, I sure. you know, I view the world as black and white. I see that that's the prism that I see the world through. Me too. And uh, there's not a whole lot of gray for me. Yeah, it's it's very little gray, and I see it through the and I see it through the prism of race. I make no apologies for that. Right. I look at the world as a black man. 
Of course, I look at the world as a white man. I yeah. don't think I really have a choice in that. Yeah, matter. yeah. You, don't, you, don't, you know, you really don't have a choice. You know, you can try to you can try to say I can un, I can I can see this point, or I can see that point, but I, you know, this I believe to be true. Yeah, I don't think I can um, ever understand or fully embody uh, anyone else's perspective other than my own. I mean, I can, I only have the capabilities to look back at my collective experience and say, okay, this is my perspective. Now, do I have the humility to say, okay, um, I can't understand certain aspects of other people's lives because I am so far removed from that perspective. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, whether race is one of those, I would probably go ahead and say, yeah, I don't know that I could ever understand through the lens of a black man and vice versa. I don't know that a black man could ever understand through the lens of a white man. Well, you can't understand, but the, the question always is that you have to ask yourself, can you empathize? Abs now we've hit the crutch. Yeah. So Absolutely. Can you empathize with a human being? Yeah. Can you empathize with what they, you know, what they go through, what they deal with on a daily basis? It's like, I know um, one of the things that I've always done with friends of mine who happen to be of a different race, the majority race in this country at the moment, white, I always take them into black environments. Yeah, right. You know, a black, you know, when I was in college, and even high school, I would take my black friends down to the bottom, or I'd take them to my, the church that I grew up in, yeah, and let them see, let them feel what it was like well, to be the minority. <laughs> so what? I mean, is there any stories that stick out that that when you're when you're kind of doing this social unwitting social experiment on your friends? Well, I don't know if it was unwitting or not. I mean, I had. And they knew what they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's just to put them, you know, because they would always say, "Why are you so tense? Uh, why are you look? Why are you so uncomfortable? Why are you, you know, why are you gritting your lip?" Right. And it's because this is not not that I was never uncomfortable, but I always expected to be made uncomfortable by somebody. Why is that? Well, because um, people, you know, if you're if you're not if you're the outlier, for whatever reason, people will focus in on you. Gotcha. So you're saying that if you if you're the one that happens to stick out in a crowd, right? And you're saying so you're you let's say you're in an environment where there's a lot of white people, and you're the one black guy, then this is going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to make me uncomfortable for a moment. And vice versa. And vice versa, because you know people will tiptoe around you, or they'll flock to you, like you. Right. Like, hey, that's a black guy. Let me ask him a question. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and if I went maybe to uh, this one of your the church that you're talking about when we grew up, uh, I might have a similar experience. I might be a little tense. I might not know what to expect. I might have people that ignore me or greet me or however you. Oh yeah, I mean you know so those kind of you know those kind of interactions, except in this society. That you know, it it just it it's just amplified. Why do you think that is? Well, <laughs> historic, you know, historically, that's just the way it's. You know, black people have been here, white people have been here, right? And those norms that had you know have always been there, have been in place. Those things have been in place to make one group feel better than the other. Yeah, so, I mean, and we're not that far removed from Jim Crow laws, historically speaking. Uh, we're, what, two generations? 50 years. 50 yeah, years, so. Give or, give or take 50, 60 years. Maybe your, your, your 
immediate family experience some of those actual laws that were in place? Well, not even my immediate family, me, myself, and I. Really? I mean, I'm, I'm the first generation in this county, I'm the first generation of black people in this county that had full equal rights. No kidding. People, you know, that's how, so it's not that far removed. It's in, you know, it's, you know, I am, you know, I am the history. Um, so your children then, when they, when you try to tell them about your own personal experience and the people previous to you, the generations previous to you, what's the reception that they get? Well, my children, you know, or just any any well, of the younger generation. When, I'm not when, they're, to... when they're shocked, you know, because I, you know, right. I teach, you know, I'm an English and history teacher, and they're shocked when I tell them that because it's just so far removed from what they've experienced. You know, this street right here that we're um that we're broadcasting from Brewer Street. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, it was one of the few places on the near the court square where black people could have businesses and you the role sorry about that no it's all right um there was a building um i can't remember the real name of we just but there was like it was a building down here at the end of at the end of the block that had a black dentist in it at one time a black doctor dr howe had his office the, the only black physician in town and it uh, had to be for whatever reason on Bruce yeah. Street. Yeah, but that's the only place they could be because, like many southern towns, Paris had a rule that black people could not have businesses in certain places, could not own businesses. And this is part of the Jim Crow law. Yeah. The zoning and yeah, uh, things, things like that. Yeah, things yeah. like that. So all the black businesses that were close to the courthouse, you say, or close to the town square, were on this street. No kidding. And, uh, and did that have something to do with the bottoms? Well, that, you know, now in the bottom, you know, you had, you know, in the bottom you had, uh, you know, you had bars, bar and grills as they would call them today, but they were, we called them cafes. Right. You had the Brown Derby, um, you had the dugout, uh, you had uh, the place where LL's is now. This is primarily black owned? Yeah, black owned. Black operated. Black operated, and then uh, Glenn Matlock had a market, had a, had a grocery store, gotcha. and he was a white guy. So, uh, but, um, but there was just certain places that black people could operate in most southern cities, and certain businesses. Um, you know, it goes back to, you know, it just goes, it just goes back to just, that's just the way things were. Now, there were other black grocery stores around town, and places like that, like there was one on Peaton Hill, there was one on Depot Street over in that area, there was really wasn't one on Rising Street, but there was one close enough to Rising Street. So out by well, Rising Street, that was basically the street where the black middle class lived. Gotcha. So uh -oh. you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, so we're, we're talking about representative history that you are physically a part of, that you have actually in your own experience, experienced, you've seen these changes, ironically, we're doing this on this street where, um, and, and purely irony, that we're doing this on this street where um, this is one of the few streets you're saying that downtown allowed, had black um, businesses yeah. that were allowed to own and operate. So from a political standpoint, where do you think the shift happened between the African-American communities being supported and supporting the Republican Party and the African-American communities supporting and being supported by the Democratic Party as is today? Um, it, it happened in the 60s. It, happens with, it happened with the Kennedys. Uh, when, um, 
Martin Luther King was in jail. I want to say he was in jail in uh, Mississippi. It may have been may have been Alabama. I, I, sh I should have looked it up. But um, he was well. He was. I think it was, I want to say it's Alabama. I may be wrong. He was in jail a few times. But he was in jail a few <laughs> times. But um, it was uh, during the 1960 election, mm -hmm. and and he was being moved to a real hardcore prison, you know, a maximum security prison. And he was going to be moved in the middle of the night. And the King family reached out to Nixon. Who was running. Who was running against Kennedy and right. reached out to the Kennedys. And the Kennedys called, uh, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy called the governor of the state and said, well, you know, if anything happens to that man, you know, and if we win, you know, we'll bring the full force of the federal government down on you. So after that, so they released him because he, you know, he basically just got arrested for having a protest march. Whatever the yeah. made up charge or whatever. But, yeah, but, you know, um, marching without a permit or something or the, uh, marching after he was told not to. But um, so that was and. Daddy King, as they called him, made a you know made a statement. It's like that just you know Nixon didn't chose not to help. Kennedy chose to help. So that kind of started turning the tide. That, that started turning the tide politically because up until then, black people voted for Republicans because Lincoln was a Republican. The Republicans freed the, the slaves. The KKK was funded under the or funded under d d Democratic Southern Democrats. Yes, yeah, Southern Democrats yeah. because the coalitions at that time and you know I get into this argument with people all the time and say, well, you know, the Republicans freed the slaves and did this for black people, but it's like now there was a section of the Republican Party. Sure, there was a progressive section. Yeah, the right as well. Well, they called them the radical the Republicans. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they called them the radical Republicans. But after, but then again, the Republicans turned their back on black people after you know during after Reconstruction. I was about to say, Grant, I know in a second term appointed more African American officials that wouldn't be surpassed, I believe, in fact, checkers look this up, I believe until uh, Clinton's administration, mm -hmm. there was more federally appointed uh, African Americans under Grant's second administration than there would be all the way up until the 90s under, under Clinton. Right, yeah. I mean, a, a bunch of the, you know, many of the first civil rights laws that were passed in this country were passed during the Grant administration. Right. The, the biggest one being the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1865, uh, yeah, 1875. And um, but then the Supreme Court overturned it, and that led to Plessy versus Ferguson, and all the uh, Jim Crow laws started coming in. So the Supreme Court had really never, you know, except for a brief period of time in the '60s and '70s, had never really been a friend of the black people. Why do you think that is? Well, because you know, major, you know, that's just the, that's just the way, you know, that's you know, they had their reasons. I mean, yeah, but. Um, but you know that was the last. You know the the courts. Well, you always look at the courts as your last chance for justice. Right. And like I said, except for that period in the '60s and '70s, the Supreme Court has never really been friend of the black people. And unfortunately, it's probably going to go back. It, that pendulum is going to swing back to the right here in the coming years. You think so? Oh yeah. Nope. Yeah. This this term that just started with the Supreme Court. The two of the big cases are. 
about voting access and affirmative action. And I'm pretty sure by a 6-3 margin or a 5-4 margin, probably probably 6-3 if I, I am a betting man, <laughs> that uh, they will overturn the two, you know, the uh, voting, uh, the uh, redistricting case that's coming out of, uh, I want to say Alabama. And then there's a uh, another case out of North Carolina about uh, the, the way that they have, you know, the way that they have gerrymandered their districts. So those two cases, and I think it's an affirmative action case from one of the major colleges. So they will, you know, I've got a feeling at the end of the day they're going to say that race cannot, you cannot use race as one of the things to, for college admissions. And right. that'll just, that'll just be, that'll be the first domino and then the rest of the dominoes will fall because once something, you know, once the Supreme Court rules on something like that, states already have the laws written about what they want to do. Just Absolutely. Like, just like what they've just yeah. like they done with Roe v. Wade. You know, all these states have trigger laws ready to go. All these states they have... They do the same with they, legalization they, of marijuana on a federal level if that ever happens. So Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, so they, these states already have things in place to put, you know, to put them in. So and you th and you think maybe the uh, the 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 cause of this uh, turning point is I, I noticed you kind of casually mentioned it was uh, from the right now. Um, you know, I, I find that interesting because the the right in times past now this is not the case since the neocons have kind of took over uh, after W. Um, but in in times past, the right has kind of been a champion for. Um, less government, uh, more rights, um, and now it seems like that tide has changed <laughs> well, back over to less rights, more government. Well, it's like more rights for whom? It's like it's never, you know, I've argued, you know, I've argued for 40 years. The Republican Party, since, uh, since the turn of the last century, you know, after Reconstruction, when they left you know left black people to the will of southern whites has never really been a friend of other black people overall uh, that you when you say rights it's rights for whom it's like when you had when you don't have any to begin with and then they take what you got then where are you left right so no the um you know the conservative you know conservative if you look it up in the dictionary it just means Stay, you know, traditional. Stay as it to is. Conserve what yeah. has, right, right? Yeah, don't change. Right. So when you have one group that's always been in power, and they don't want to give up any of that power that they've amassed, um, and you know, and any, you know, and they work from the I believe they work from the principle of if we give up anything, then we lose something. It's not if we give up something, everybody gains. Right. So what rights do you think that collectively, so I understand what you're saying um, from a philosophical point, um, you're, you're saying that it's it's false to think that because we're giving up rights that we're actually losing anything, rather we're giving more to other people that didn't have it. So what rights today would you say, what's, what's maybe a a few key rights or, or maybe one that we could discuss that you think we maybe collectively need to give up so that more people could have uh, equality? Um, opportunity. I also. mean, we still, we still struggle. You look at the, uh, if you've been to the courthouse lately, 
Um, been in the courthouse. My tags, yeah, sure. Um, how many black people did you see working in there that didn't have a mop or an orange vest on? I don't, I don't know that I looked, to be honest with you. Okay, well, you <laughs> may not, but you know, it's you know, this chain, you know, the we st we're still we still aren't represented in the society, even in this town. So, what laws specifically do you think maybe need to change, or maybe we need to? Well, laws. Uh, Laws that need well, don't need to be changed, but uh, the, look at the laws that are enacted. It's like you know, um, just um, you know, make sure that you know, make sure that there's equity. You know, make sure that if if there's a you know, if a and it's not really you know, it's it's just oversight more than laws. Now I hear this term a lot, equity. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, you say equal, okay. but not everybody is equal. Not everybody needs the same thing. You know, you need Correct. The, we're we, not all equal. Yeah, we're not all equal, but we need the equality of opportunity. So even in even in Henry County, uh, how many black-owned businesses are there in Henry County? Now, why is that? Uh, there's no law that says you have to, but there's regulations that a bank should be should have. You know, there are regulations that a bank should be able to give should have to be scrutinized if they don't give a loan to, to a black person that's trying to open a business or revitalize a business. So you, you, you think that maybe banks aren't um, loaning money to um, black-owned businesses because those people are black? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you look at someone, I know you look at someone's credit rating and all this and viability mm -hmm. of the business or whatever. Um, I know, like I said, for instance, my friend, Louis Long, who owns LL. Oh, yeah. Um, Good guy. Some, yeah, great guy. But the renovations that, I don't see why he couldn't have got a small business loan. You know, that last Republican president talked uh, talked about the economic, yeah, economic zones. But, sure. Um, why, you know, why couldn't he have gotten a small business loan to expand? Uh, you mean from the federal government, not necessarily from a bank? Well, but, you know, but they, those loans are, go through banks. Yeah, I don't understand why that happens, but I guess... But, yeah, you know, yeah. The, you know, the feds just don't come down, but all of those things, are, you, know, you know, like the PPP loans and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, black people, black-owned businesses in this country didn't get, you know, got less than 15% of those. And were they representative of the actual population, or were they representative of? Do you understand what I'm asking? Is mm -hmm. so African Americans make up what roughly ten to well, twelve percent, thirteen percent, thirteen percent right now of the U.S. population. So, if black-owned businesses are taking fifteen percent of the PPP loans, is that representative of the de uh, demographic of black-owned businesses? Or are you saying that maybe black-owned businesses should have a more of a share, or they had less of an equal share. I don't know the situation. Yeah, well, I mean, we should have an equal share, but um, like I said, uh, the black, you know, we have black-owned businesses did not get an equal share gotcha. of the of that kind of money, and that's the way it's been throughout history. We've always gotten less in the, in the United States. In the United States, so sure. that's just that's just problematic, systemic. Um, whatever the reasons, um, whatever the reasons are, the reasons are. You know, I believe this. I believe it's racism. Uh, you know, that's so you believe that, that the, the banks are making these decisions unilaterally based off of race rather than based off of the, some of the other factors that you named, uh, the credibility of the business or, or what have you. So 
So you're, you're basically making the claim that there is 13% of the population is African-American and there should be an equal representation of black-owned businesses comparative to the population. Some, somewhere along Yeah, something like that. So, and right now we're not really yeah, necessarily we're not, fulfilling that. Yeah, we're, you know, it's like how many Mexican restaurants are there in this county? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, how many black restaurants are in this county? Yeah. You know, you count Paris, you count LLs. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And it's always, we're always at the back of the line for whatever reasons. Um, Running a restaurant's hard, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. You, you, as you know, I don't know. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, I just use that as an example. Sure. I understand. You know, how many, yeah. you know. You know how many you know how many black people are vice presidents at the banks in town. Right. You know how many black people are insurance agents. You know in this town. Right. You know it's just we're just not representative representative represented in this society. And I and I'm just and I'm just picking on Henry County. I understand. No, 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 I understand. I understand. We're, we can make that. And and I love I love it because it's a microcosm and it's something that we can both relate to and we can both understand. But you're you're. Uh, in a larger position making broader brushstrokes about the United States in general is that African Americans are historically disenfranchised. Right now they are disenfranchised. And maybe the laws that you're proposing would do what exactly to give equal ground? How would that how would we accomplish well, laws, equal ground? Well laws are are only as good as the people who enforce them. Absolutely. So can you you know can you can you you can't make you you can't make people do things that they don't want to do, but you can regulate how they do them. Um, it's like uh, when um, block grants, you know, say uh, when they re, you know when they redo when when they fix up neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I look at you know I look at the bottom where I'm at. Those you know those houses are very few houses that have been remodeled. Sure. Uh, you know, I look. Do you think that's a decision based off of race? Yes, I do. How would you quantify that decision? I'm, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just I'm trying to gain your perspective here. So, how would you quantify that that decision was based off of race? You're saying based maybe off the evidence? Yeah, just from what I see. Just from the yeah, just the, from what I see. What you're, what you're you're saying? Hey, look, this white neighborhood got revitalized, and this black neighborhood didn't. Didn't. Yeah. Okay. It's as simple as that. It's like the to me the proof is in the pudding. I understand. And you know when I see you know when I see other you know when I see sidewalks here, and I don't see sidewalks there. When I see sidewalks going out 641 down to the dollar store, and there's never been a sidewalk down East Washington Street. Right. You see a lot of people walking down these. Yeah, and you see a lot, and there's a lot of foot traffic. There's there. a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, or a new sidewalk, you know. Sure. Or on on uh, Cooper Street, or Curtis Street, you know. Right. Those, you know. So when you see things like that. So I'm trying. Okay. So to recap, and I'm just trying to again, I'm trying to understand the position here. So the position that you're taking is, we're kind of making, uh, we're we're looking out over a broad spectrum of of different environments, and we're kind of making a generalization that there are. Um, Areas that are um, are made up of African Americans, and these areas that, as you said, the proof is in the pudding. They don't have as much money poured into them. Uh, there's not as many black entrepreneurs. Um, there's not as many um, uh, municipal actions taking place. Uh, government funds being put into that area. 
uh, I would empirically looking at this I would have to agree obviously that is um, an obvious thing uh, when you look at inner cities some of the worst places of in inner cities as far as municipality uh, money that's being divvied out um, as far as what the government maybe is doing or, or maybe the police interaction or, or what have you um, historically and from an economic perspective yes I would agree that you know these so I guess the 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 question. Could you say something there that's interesting? When you say, you know, you know, companies get, you know, companies get benefits to open a factory here or there or a store here or there, right? Yeah, sure. Um, even in inner cities, it's like give an economic incentive for a company to come back to the inner city and open up a store. Most people in 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 any any. In any inner city, have to drive away from that neighborhood to go to work. Sure. So oh. we should, but and and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there should be equal opportunity for anybody to be able to do that. Right. That is your definition of equity. Yeah, I mean, equal, yeah, the equality, like I say, equality of opportunity. Right. So I mean, the those tax breaks that businesses get to build factories in X area. Right. Uh, give them those same incentives to go build it. In the inner cities. In the inner city. Or, or the, the, some of the most problematic places right. where there's generational crime, there's generational institutionalization of the, the home family. Well, it's not generational crime. It's like people will do what they have to do to get by. I mean, um, I mean, this is not problematic with Paris, but I know I've, I've worked in cities where they, you know, they would, you know, like, you know, like every town has rules of like if there's a school in an area, then you can't have, if you commit a crime right. within a thousand, you know, right. within that a thousand yards of that school, a thousand feet of that school, you know, you get extra time. Or right. you can't put a liquor store or this or that near that school. Right. But if you close, you know, I've, like I said, this hadn't happened in Paris per se, but I've seen it in other places in the area. You close a, black, a school in a black neighborhood. Of course, the crime comes in because they know that they, you know, that they're not going to get in, in more trouble. As, oh, yeah, they're not going to get in added trouble. Yeah, so I watched, yeah, I watched the city I worked in once, you know, close a school in a black neighborhood. There was a middle class black neighborhood and the crime went up. Mm -hmm. After they closed the school, because the criminals knew that they could operate there without any problems. Do you think if there's a greater police presence, that the crime would have been reduced? Well, we're over police. You no, know, black communities are over policed. Really? And underserved always. Um, I mean, that you know, we you know, we are just you know, things that things that can happen. You always get the kick out of people talk about how bad, how bad you know cities are. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a city. And you look at the county that the city is in, more of the crime happens in the county right. than it does in the city, but the city gets highlighted. Right. I mean, I mean there's some few outliers, but I always I remember looking up the stats for Henry County that most of the drugs that you know, most of the drug arrests, uh, I think at one the last time I did this, it was like forty three percent of the drug arrests in Henry County were in Paris. The other yeah, you know, the other forty-seven percent are in the county. We're in the county, right? You know, so it's like 
Right. You, so you and you're and you're making the claim that well, African Americans are primarily make up. You know, they're they're going to be living in the city, and and so they're yeah. they're making up the uh, overall. Now, I mean, statistically speaking, there are more African Americans uh, by percentage that are incarcerated. Right. Um, and a lot of these do have to do with drugs. Yeah. A lot of these do have to do with uh, drug laws. I mean, right. our, our president, when he was a senator, passed the 92 crime bill, which essentially made a... 90, yeah. Or 94. 94 crime Sorry. bill. Sorry. I, I corrected myself. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you did. You got you. Got that. But see, but here's the thing with that. Uh, and that's one of the things that some of my critics will throw out at me when they say, why do you support this man? I oh, you support... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm. You know, I'm a left wing. I'm oh, a, no, no. Yeah. I, I know a lot of left wingers that. Yeah. Don't. I know a lot of right wingers that don't support Trump. So I'm. Just, yeah. Well, I'm just, I, I wish you'd introduce me to some, but uh, that's another. <laughs> that's another story. But um, um, they're not true. They call them rhinos. That's yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, um, um, the majority of the um, majority of the black congressmen did not vote for that bill. Because they could see what it would lead to, and what what did it lead to? For well, it led to it, it, once again, it, it, it led to black people. You know, if you sold five rocks of cocaine, which would be about the size of a, a he uh, classically used a, a sugar pack. Yeah. Uh huh. So if you yeah. sold five rocks, you got twice as much time as someone who sold five or five times five as grams of a suitcase of cocaine cocaine was primarily a white used drug mm -hmm. crack cocaine was a primarily uh, African, yeah, African American African or poor, poor or yeah. economically because mm -hmm. yeah, there was white people doing crack cocaine oh, yeah. there was Asian there was anyone yeah everybody yeah. was doing it but yeah. you know it was, a, it was an epidemic in the black in the black community it destroyed black communities now do you believe that um Rick Ross's story that he was um, that it was the CIA that was well I'll put it like this uh, <laughs> was, Rick well, Ross was a was a famous uh, drug dealer in Los Angeles he was one of the first I'm just updating the list yeah. was one of the first uh, uh, major drug dealers to introduce crack crack cocaine um, which crack cocaine is the exact same as cocaine it has gone through uh, an extra process another, another process uh, so it's been cooked so it's been cooked so that you can actually smoke it rather than inhale Hell, it yeah so the richer white communities or richer black communities were, were people with money people with money were, were, were snorting cocaine people that money were, were, smoking, were, were smoking it and it was more it was highly addictive in this smokable fashion mm -hmm. more dangerous right. more overdoses so uh -huh. and so on so Rick Ross was a famous uh, or infamous however you want to put yeah. it uh, drug dealer in Los Angeles well known <laughs> yeah well known and he makes the claim that the CIA was bringing the cocaine in through the Reagan administration yeah uh, this is the Iran country the Iran country so, and if you've seen that movie Movie with Tom Cruise. It's been a couple of movies. Oh yeah, well, he plays the pilot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I have a story. Uh, this is a based on a true story. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a guy. Uh, years ago, I was uh, me and my my roommate. We were DJs at a radio station in Murray, in Murray, Kentucky, during during the eighties. And uh, he's he's working he's working the board one night, and he calls me. I'm a I'm a runner for like the local newspaper, and he calls me. He's like, man. There's a plane that's kind of crash landed at the Murray Airport, and this dude won't let the you know, the local sheriff or anybody come you know come onto the plane, and he's got some kind of banner you know, and he's got like this he's got like this you know car phone, but it's not in a car, and yeah, and it's a standoff. Yeah, 
Oh my goodness. And, and uh, I was like, really? It's like, oh man, that's pretty cool. You know, and the local sheriff is like, you're ready to let me in. Then there's some hot, now some state troopers show up. But this guy's not getting out of the plane. <laughs> you know, and I swear to goodness, man, uh, uh, we, we go out there in about an hour and a half after we get there, these guys drive up in a black car. Uh -huh. And they get out of the car and they. I dress like men in black. I mean, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And they just show up. The they just show up, yeah, and and you know, and they you know, and leave it all over. Yeah, they're feds. Yeah. And fast forward a couple of years later, the same guy he finally crashed land. He 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 crashed lands in like uh, eastern Kentucky, right. and the plane has like you know like two kilos of coke. Right. So so yeah, I mean, nothing we have discussed. I just want to make this clear. Is a conspiracy. It's not. Well, it's nothing so far. Well, we might make conclusions yeah, well, based off of this evidence, but the evidence that we've just laid out is all inconclusive proof. The the CIA did bring in cocaine. Well, people who well, people who worked for the CIA. Now, whether or not it was a government conspiracy, I whether, mean, but, whether or not uh, Ronald Reagan signed, signed it, yeah, it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It yeah. happened, and yeah. you know, because these planes were not, you know, didn't have to go through customs, right? So, because they were running weapons, right, to the to Central right. and South America, right, and. The, and they were bringing it back, right? You know, with the same. No, they had the, you know, they had the clearances to but not. Coke be wasn't selling fast enough. But well, you know, it's like if you can make a dollar, might as well make five. Yeah. So. So they introduced crack cocaine. Yeah. So it was introduced. I mean, it, it, it probably, you know, it had probably been around sure. on a lesser basis, but um, not like this. But not like this that. was a huge. Yeah. If anyone remembers the uh, late eighties, yeah. early nineties, this was an uh, an epidemic. Yeah. Crack cocaine epidemic. Yeah. But and, and and it was destroying black cities, and there were some mayors of some of these cities were like were begging the government to do something. About some were it. even smoking it, like Marion Barry. Yeah, Marion Barry. <laughs> but you know, out loud. But. Uh, but right. You know, so they were pleading with, you know, sometimes there are consequences to actions with, with good intentions. Sure. So they figured if they, you know. What were the good intentions of bringing cocaine? Well, no, they're not. Well, I'm just saying the response to it. You know, uh, making the uh, coke, you know, if you got busted with crack, you got more time than someone that had powder. But the, but the difference in the amount of powder... With the lo so, if you got literally a briefcase full of right. powder, you would have the same amount of time to serve if you had a sugar packet yeah. full of crack. Yeah. So, and you and you could set. And this was Joe Biden. Oh, well, well, he, well, he, well, he was, you know, he was the, you know, he was the lead on it. But yeah, that. But you know, the Republicans who voted against the bill, they didn't vote against the bill because it was harsh. It wasn't harsh enough. If you right. go back, if you go back and look at the comments of a Mitch McConnell and some of the senators who were still who were in who were in the Congress at that time, yeah. if you look at their comments, those law that crime that ninety four crime bill wasn't tough enough. Right. So it's like they didn't vote for against it because you know they were, they were afraid it was going to yeah yeah so but yeah so sometimes you ha you can have you can have good intentions and it, the consequences of the law. I don't think any of that had good intentions. Yeah, I'm going to well, disagree with you. I don't think the 94 crime bill had good intentions. Well, I don't think that bringing in the cocaine oh, well, in the same administration that said just say no to drugs. Remember this. Oh, this yeah. is Nancy. The same administration's like just say no to drugs is secretly bringing in 
cocaine. Yeah, well, that even within that administration, I don't. You know, like I said, I'm, I I try not to go with conspiracies, but you know, this it was, happened. This happened. It, it happened. This so, is fact. Yeah, it's <laughs> fact. But you know, I don't know if my way how far up the chain or ladder is the conspiracy. Yeah, I'll give you that. But yeah, it so is that's fact my that the Reagan administration did bring in cocaine mm-hmm. for arms. Yeah, people uh, who work. People who work for people them. People who work for them. Well, sure. you know, but sometimes you can. You know, but like I said, black communities were hurting, and mayors of those cities were saying, "Hey." you got to do something so this is what they did but they didn't no one sat down and go wait a minute illegal drugs are illegal drugs so why don't we why don't we you know, across why, the board across the board no one right. did that right so that's to me that's where the racism comes in because these are good white people these are bad black people and you said it yourself you called it an epidemic uh how have we responded to this opioid epidemic that's going through the country. I see, I see billboards up that say carry um, Narcan or whatever. That's help a, these people. Help these people. Not put these. Not incarcerate. Not these incarcerate people. these people. So, which by the way, uh, uh, opioids uh, are killing more eighteen to forty-nine year olds than anything right. else right now. So. But what color are those eighteen to forty-nine year olds mostly? Um, in my mind, I'm going to say white. I don't know the statistics. Ding, 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 ding. So, but we're helping these people. But there was that. There was not. You know, any black person caught with crack, right, got sent to jail. Unless you're, it unless per- you're Mexican and you're bringing in fentanyl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're well, like the boogeyman when it comes well, to they're, they're, they're they're leaking across our border yeah. and little kids' uh, lunch boxes and yeah, it looks like tic tacs and, and well, the college a, students take it to. And yeah. And but see, that's a whole nother thing. It's like. Uh, I remember, you know, I can remember listening to, like, some of the people that were involved with El Chapo. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember one, I can't remember, a reporter from somewhere was talking to one of his lieutenants who flipped on him. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, a couple do that. Yeah, but one of those guys, and the reporter asked him, so how do your drugs get, you know, he goes, we don't give drugs to people who are trying to cross the border, trying to cross the Rio Grande and go through the Arizona desert. We wouldn't risk our drugs with that. Right. Our drugs come in at ports of entry. Yeah. Uh, and he tells a story. Hey, tunnels they dug. Yeah, tunnels. Submarines. Yeah. All sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> he goes, we know a certain percentage will get caught. Right. But we're willing to risk that. Right. For, you know, real, and especially the mule. They don't care about the mule. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah. yeah, but they're not, you know, they're not giving it to the, the people who are coming across the border for, you know, a better life or whatever. Right. They're not carrying the drugs. I know, but that's the boogeyman right But, you know, and that's, that just blows me away because, yeah. you know, 85, 85 to 90% of the drugs that come in this country come in through legal ports of entry. Right. Uh, like I said, this... Well, you have to, for that volume. Yeah. You, the, I mean, you just think about the volume, the consumption volume of yeah. drugs. And if you, if your idea that most of the drugs are coming in on a backpack, that is ridiculous because the volume, the actual physical volume of the drugs being consumed, there's not enough backpacks. There's not enough backpacks. Even with two million supposed immigrants that are becoming, coming in the United States this year, there's not enough backpacks. There's not enough backpacks. So, yeah, yeah. You know, so, but it, it comes in, you know, like the three largest drug confiscations that have happened that happened during the Trump era right. were in Baltimore, on the ship, port of Baltimore, sure. port of Philadelphia, the port of Newark. Right. You know, it wasn't some you know, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't someone crossing as you know, Juarez, Mexico, or right. Brownsville. Right, with three tons of yeah. yeah. So, and uh, but this one Al Chapo story, this guy talks about how. There's, you know, there was, they sent a load of goats to Chicago, and every goat had 
a certain amount of cocaine in their, in their, in their you know, in, in, in condoms, no in their bodies. Way. So, Whoa. but it went, you know, it went through, you know, it, it went through two checkpoints. You wow. Know. It went through, you know, the one at the border, then if you... USDA or somebody. Well, I mean, if you, uh, if you, if you know anything about border checkpoints, you know, you have the entry level ones at the border, you know, at sure. the border with the country, with Mexico, but... About a hundred miles or so inland, in Arizona and California, there are border checkpoints. Right. Again, you know that's how like Snoop and Willie Nelson always get busted. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you hear driving their bus and yeah. Yeah. So you hear stories. We just go. We call this. Yeah. So, but um. So bring this bring this back to the your 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 ones uh, that you said kind of um through a scanner darkly so to speak or to use biblical terminology through a rose colored lens uh you're you're saying that you're you're viewing a lot of these um issues a lot of these emblematic problems um that are happening in the country based off of uh, race where you're going to look at it through the lens of race so when you're when you're viewing something like joe biden do you is it do you support his administration because it's not Trump who was yes such, that's it yes I mean yeah. I you know uh, at the end it's, of the at least it's not Trump yeah it's 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 no it's not it's not white nationalists who are trying to put take this country back before the civil rights era to the 1950s you know when you say make America great again what are you talking about when was America great I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's never been great for my people. Yeah. You know, it's been okay at times, but every time it's been okay, the pendulum has already has always swung back. To Do you the think right. historically that uh, from, let's say, uh, the institutionalization of slavery and I forget the date and 1736 something like that. Um, uh, up until uh, today, 2022, do you think obviously it's it, the pendulum has swung to better and better and better in favor of African American, um, or do you think that maybe we're in a regress? Or do you oh, we definitely we're, we're, we're definitely we're definitely in a regress because, like I said, uh, the uh, you know uh, all these laws that have been passed recently about you know you hear the term critical race theory. Yeah, you know. Another one I'm not familiar with. So well, that's to. basically to me, you know, that you can't teach anything that make might make someone feel uncomfortable. Have well, you read history? Well, yeah. history is pretty uncomfortable. It can be. It, it depends on whose version of history you know, whose version of history you're getting. Yeah. Or are you getting a sanitized version of history? I'm after the real version. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the CIA agents bringing in the crack cocaine yeah. and giving it to Rick Ross. Yeah. <laughs> that's the version. Yeah. I'm after. Well, you know, that's well, you know, if you you know, you just break it down in a nutshell. It's like how does a how does a plant that's grown in the mountains and hills of Central America get to Paris, Tennessee? Right. Yeah, it's not happenstance. Or one in uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about the opioid crisis. Yeah, so where we think the opioids are coming from. Yeah, so you know how does that? You know that doesn't happen by. That doesn't happen by chance. You know, so it may not be a conspiracy, but there's a pretty good network involved. I would argue that uh, the interrelations between 
the government and corporations have spawned the drug problems that we have today, including the opioid crisis, that obviously overprescription of drugs, the availability of painkillers, the availability of opioids have been um, because of an interlacing between government and private corporations. A lot of time people want to villainize either large large government or they want to villainize large corporations. And I would say, I would make the argument right now that we're in a, uh, a, a corporate Corporatism, a corporatocracy, however you want to put it, uh, where there is no democracy, there is no free market, that we essentially have large corporations, large government, and laws that kind of feed off each other. Yeah, prop, oh, yeah. Prop both of them. Yeah, it's right. a, you know, it's a, co it's a, you know, they work, they work hand in hand, and it's like, and, but they put enough stuff out there to divide us. So we don't see it. Yeah, we don't see yeah. it behind the curtain. I think that we're slitting each other's throats over issues that, like you said, so we're not looking behind the curtain. It's like the magician's assistant. We're sitting here looking at the magician's assistant. We're not looking at the magician. Put the rabbit underneath his hat. Yeah. And then get $10 million for putting that rabbit underneath right. his hat from a corporation yeah. that is based off the Cayman Islands or wherever it is. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's kind of, you so know. What do you think about the claim that... Um, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how familiar you are with economist uh, Thomas Sowell, but very yeah. I, I wanted to bring him up because he takes a very unique perspective when it comes to yes, um, he does African American uh, history and, in, and in the, slavery. When it well, comes in the you know, the in the circles that I run in, we view him a certain way. Well, how so? Uh, he's you know we you know I'll be I'll be honest with sure. you. Uh, to me, he's a sellout. What's I that mean, mean? He's, he's sold out his race. Gotcha. Uh, you know, and that's you know or taking the positions that he's well, well, you know, what specifically historically do you disagree oh, with of his? Oh gosh, everything. I mean, it's everything. Very, it's very few things. I mean, it's very little because it's all black people's fault that we're still in the position that we're in today. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So overall, I mean, if you had you you gave me an article of. Of his, and I, I don't think he writes articles. He just writes these long, big books. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he, he used to write a newspaper. Column. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right. You're so, right. I I mean, mean, but all of his books are like, God, yeah, so I've never, I've never read one. Never I've read one. I've never read one. I'm just always want to bring him up is. Um, he uh, takes a very different juxtaposition as far as history goes. I mean, he makes the historical claim that more uh, white people have been enslaved by black people than vice versa mm -hmm. because of the uh, the Moorish kingdoms, uh, because of the the longevity of slavery throughout the Roman Empire. Um, that, and he also makes the claim that you know um, every. Every civilization that has existed Listen. until modern times has upheld slavery in one form or another, okay, whether enslaving their, their oh, people. Oh, I agree, or, yeah. Right. And, and, but the difference is slavery in the United States was based solely on race. Those, slavery in those other civilizations were based on the fact we went to war... Well, we, you know, oh, we, you're easy pickings. Yeah, you. We went to war. I conquered you. You, you, yeah. my puppy. Now your your ship was slower than mine. That's yeah. the Moors, the, yeah. the pirates. They would go and like, hey, your ship's slower than mine. Whoever's on this ship, yeah. I don't care what color you are, you're mine. Right, you're mine. So, yeah. so you know, that's what. So why did we base it off of race? It was easy, okay, because when we first when uh, Europeans first got here, they tried to enslave. The native people who are also enslaving their own people. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Like Again, I, said, I made that claim. Yeah, or he makes that claim. Yeah, everybody. But it wasn't based on skin color. Slavery in America was different uh, because it was based on skin color. 
and that was that's, and that's the and that's still the genesis of all our problems. Why? What made that transition? Okay. Well, because the the indigenous people that were here when Europeans got here and they were able to co-opt them and conquer them or kill them off with diseases right. like smallpox. Sure. Uh, even if you enslaved, uh, say, an, an Algonquin Indian or you know whatever tribe I can't remember what the Squanto belonged to. Sure. Yeah, they knew the land. Right. So if they got a chance to run away. Right. They knew where they were running. But if you brought someone over here from West Africa, number one, they would stand out because of the skin color. Okay. So you could find them easily. Yeah. But same with indentured servants, you know, that came over. They were white. So if an indentured servant ran away, he could go, if an indentured servant from Boston went to Philadelphia, he could get lost. Ah, I see. So it was easier to take people from West Africa and bring them over here and enslave them than it would be to enslave native people and indentured servants who look just like you. So you're saying this was a conscious choice by the uh, the the um, powers to be that uh, the, uh, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the English, the French, right. the Dutch, and plus there was a easily accessible supply Five. of slaves rather than them going down to or across the Horn of Africa over to China and taking slaves from China, right? Or whether it was them taking slaves from it Australia, was easy, yeah. Well, yeah, it was easy access. Better access. It was yeah. easy access. You know, you just follow. You know, you right. know, just follow the winds. You know, right. just follow the gusts. The, the, the trade, yeah, trade the wind. Trade yeah. winds. Yeah. Uh, the current. What's that current called? Um, so uh, the North Atlantic current. Yeah. So do you think that? Um, do you think that the Enlightenment and the theory of evolution? Do you think that had anything to do with the enslavement of African Americans? You know, so so in other words, the the the, the proposition. I, I don't necessarily agree with this tenet. I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. So the proposition being that during the Enlightenment, uh, uh, man became you know he used reason to try to uncover knowledge, and then we have this system or theory of evolution, and 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 man looked out, white European man looked out and said, look at our cities, look how much we've evolved, look at our art, look at all gunpowder, look at all these things that we've done. Here is a lesser man that is in the jungles of Africa, and he's being rounded up by uh, more powerful African-owned mm -hmm. kingdoms and and being put in these cages, and we just have to show up yeah. and come and get these guys, and so they're lesser than us. They're right? lesser than us because they don't have what we have. But the reason that, the reason that you know, they didn't see, I mean, there were cities in Africa, and there were civilizations and you know there were kingdoms in Africa when Europeans were still living in villages. Oh, huge, absolutely. Yeah, so there were, there was the, it was absolutely, and all the way through Africa. All the way through. Absolutely. Yeah. We're finding that now to be even more the case with LIDAR. We're using LIDAR to detect that there were actually larger cities right. than previously thought in the, in the continent of Africa and in places where we thought there could not be cities. Well, places that you just, you know, it's, it's like, like... how did they have a city on this mountain? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, so it's like... What you know? What where is Egypt? What continent is Egypt? Africa, of course. But yeah. we wasn't taught that. Right. We, we were, say you know, Middle East. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They say Middle East, yeah. but Egypt is in Africa. Yeah. I remember one time pointing out to a history teacher that all those those hieroglyphics and those paintings on the pyramids and and in those tombs, those people are brown. Yeah. And this 
teacher told me, well, that's just because of oxidation over the years, you know, and it's like... <laughs> no, Africans are, yeah. You know, they, know, it's, they weren't, you yeah, know, the Nubians, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, we had lower, lower Egypt and upper yeah. Egypt, so it's like, and I always remember, I always tell this story when I talk, when I talk about Egypt, um, when after uh, some movie company, you know, made a movie about Amwar Sadat in the 80s. Right. And the actor they chose was a guy named Omar Sharif. Okay. You know, great, great actor. Right. But, you know, his skin color is about, you know, about your skin color. Right. And when Sadat's widow saw who the movie people had picked to play him, she was like, oh, no. Have you ever seen a picture of Anwar Sadat? He looks like me. Right. His skin tone is about my skin tone. Right, right, right. But, you know, this movie company chose, you know, Omar Sharif, you know. I mean, not that long ago, Matt Damon played a Chinese guy in the Great Wall. I mean, yeah. Hollywood. I mean, but, John uh, Wayne playing gang. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's always been. Yeah. But I do love uh, <laughs> I do love Robert Downey and uh, <laughs> Tropic, <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Oh, my God. A movie that probably couldn't be made now. But I love that. It not be made I, now. I, I love. Yeah. I, I, that, and there's lines in it. Oh, yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't go forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, to me, you know, because you got to be able to laugh at all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But uh, so, do you think there is any grounds for the theory of evolution maybe uh, encouraging the specific uh, enslavement of Africans, or are you saying that it's merely? Um, it was convenience. Convenience. Yeah, it comes down. So readily accessible. Yeah, readily accessible. So, and to justify it, you have to dehumanize the people. That's why I was bringing up the evolution. Yeah. But it's like, you're not actually human. Right. Because, and I know, you know, like, uh, phrenology, the study of the skull, they were, you yeah, know, all, they, all, 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 that, all, that, all, that, all that, that eugenic stuff and everything. You had to dehumanize part all of yeah, African-American history and in African-American subculture is this idea of eugenics. And it has, to bring up a very, very uh, uh, valid point here, uh, the United States government, on more than one occasion, this is not conspiratorial, has <laughs> done <laughs> eugenic studies on African American population. Oh yeah, and if you don't, believe, the Tuskegee experiment oh, yeah. is the most famous. Yeah, and there was one at Vanderbilt, you know, where they gave, you know, right. it, it was a lesser. Right. It, it was a lesser. It wasn't as many. It wasn't as many. Yeah, it wasn't syphilis. Yeah, it wasn't as terrible. Yeah, but they gave, you know, they gave Af you know, they gave African American women, you know, radioactive. You know. Right. So, and by the way, for the listeners, uh, eugenics is the idea that you can uh, manipulate uh, the reproduction of an individual, a population, or a group of people based off of ideologies that supersede right. those people. So again, it's a dehumanizing. Program. Yeah. Talk to that guy that has the sign on the court square and out on the mental uh, health. The sage of yeah, the sage of Persia. Yeah, I give I give the man credit. I never forget what one time he was running for office here in the last few years. He runs very well. Yeah, but he he actually kept left eugenics material in the bottom. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he, he got left yeah. it on doorsteps. I remember coming yeah. to one of the places, one of my places over here, and it was like there was this eugenic pamphlet, and I was like, what the. All right, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was, but you know, but yeah. So Europeans thought they were superior because they had every, you know, they had all this technology. But if you think about it, if somebody doesn't have something, you got to take it from them. You, you exploit got, them. E exploit them. You know, it's like when Marco Polo went to China, and um, he saw fireworks and he brought fireworks back right to Europe. Yeah, somebody went. That's neat. I that, can. But if I put this in this lead in this lead pipe, yeah, and put a rock 
Yeah. At the end of it, shoot that rock out. What's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, so you know, there was very. Uh, I always, I always talk. I always think about in, um, you know, Columbus and uh, you know the age of exploration and all sure. that. Uh, about fifty years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and uh, Happy Indigenous People Day yesterday. Uh, but about fifty years before Columbus, the Chinese emperor sent out his fleet to Which go. Was a huge. Fleet. Yeah, the biggest, the biggest ocean-going fleet in the right. world, and he sent it all around the world. And he had all these ships come back with giraffes and all these things from right. around the world and he and every ship captain had to give him a report right about what they saw out there right and all and they all gave him a report and basically the you know he came to this emperor came to the conclusion there's nothing out there that we don't have well China's always had that mentality that and they're number one yeah, yeah. but he, he scrapped the fleet because there was nothing out in the world in the rest of the world that China needed. I mean, the only way Europeans could trade with them is once they got them addicted to drugs. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so. I mean, in the Opium War, no, yeah, we, fought, we fought wars over. Yeah, so, but, you know, you know, uh, you, you know we, we uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, one of these great, you know, the, one of the great people in, in history as far as thinkers, but you know how he made his bone, his money back in the day? He invent, you know, he works for war, you know, he works war. for war. Absolutely. You know, he, you know, he did that. That's our export in the United States. Yeah, it's so. Export, but, it's war. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, the military-industrial complex, it's like, <sighs> but. Uh, <sighs> How dare you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, yeah. so it's, it's always about money. It always comes down to economics. But, um, but you know, but all these, you but. Just don't read Thomas Sowell as an economist. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can, you know, he had, you know, that's his belief. But like I said, you know, most of us in the black community, we see him through a different lens, you know. There was a group, you know, believe it or not, there was a group of, you know, we talked about slavery, but there were a group of black people that thought slavery was a good thing. You know, they didn't want to be free. So, you know, it's always been, you know, you can't hold up a Thomas Sowell. There's, a, there's been a group in every group of enslaved people who have thought it's better to be free. If you look at as far back as, I mean, just take, uh, I mean, again, to make a biblical analogy, I mean, the, the Israelites, they were like, hey, we don't have it so bad here. Like, yeah. what are you trying to do? Like, don't, don't, give me, yeah. don't give me started. Yeah. Yeah. There's, oh, yeah, there's yeah. always a segment that, like, hey, well, you got to do it. I'm complacent. I'm complacent. I'm good with where I'm at. Yeah. I don't see any greater future for me. You know, and it's bad, you know, as bad as we want to say slavery was, you know, there's a there's a, a gentleman that's buried at Maplewood Cemetery mm -hmm. that what that was basically a um, civil war veteran for the South, you know, because his 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 own no his owner I'm doing air quotes, uh, his owner was a civil was a a, a southern doctor. And after the war was over and he was free, he stayed with him. Hmm. You know, get Stockholm syndrome or something. You know, but so I mean, well, maybe he didn't have the opportunity to. Well, he figured this is my best opportunity in life is that I can hitch my wagon to this person. Yeah, and he's going to take care of and me. And I think you know, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I've I seen the yeah, looking for silver lining. Yeah, I'm know. yeah, you know, but you know, it's each his own. If yeah. I can't cop, you know, if I can't cop, it ain't mine to have. But so, uh, how have you enjoyed this conversation? I love to talk, so. Yeah. I have really enjoyed sitting down with you, and, and thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down with me and oh, have man. this conversation. I hope we have maybe uh, to the viewers out there and, and given them something to think about. I think uh, 
thinking is the most important thing we can do as a culture. Oh yeah, thinking and talking. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta talk, you know. And like I said, I love doing this. I love, you know, having these conversations with people. And you know, uh, if I offended anybody, good, you know. Me too. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like I do, you know, you know, I have my views, and I'm, you know, and nothing, you know, and I don't mind sharing them with people, but I don't back down. Well, let's do this, this again. Oh, we'll definitely I'd, have to I'd do it to sit down with you again. My, my guest, uh, again, is uh, activist, teacher, and columnist, Tony Kendall. Tony, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, for you, say, thank you for saying activist, because, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, I consider myself the voice of the, of the people who are afraid to speak for whatever reason. That's something that I, mean, I was hoping you would ask me, why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? Um, because... There are people, you know, there are people in this town that are afraid to speak for themselves. You know, they'll come to me and go, man, I'm glad you said that because, you know, even though I'm from Henry County, I'm not of Henry County. I understand. And the reason I say that is like my mortgage is not at a local bank. I understand. You know, uh, my job is not in this county. I understand. Uh, so some people are afraid to speak. And then once again, you know. These, you know, there's a it's setting you know, this society that are afraid to speak out because it's going to cost them something. Right. And you've, got nothing, you've got nothing. I got nothing to lose. I got you. I got nothing. I got nothing to lose. You know. Well, well, thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for watching the Logical Podcast. Big shout out to uh, Mike Weatherford um, and check his show out on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Mike, if you're watching this, thanks, buddy. Guys, we'll see you later. <laughs>